Hello and welcome to the latest Think Business podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. We talked to Tiger's healthcare founder and CEO, Karen Clintz, about the childcare business in Ireland and the UK and how she has weathered the pandemic and Brexit storms to be a change leader in her sector. Last March, I wrote a story about you guys where you had just opened your first childcare centre in South London following a two million investment. And that was the start of March. But as we know, from the 13th of March onwards, the whole world as we knew it, particularly from an Irish perspective, was turned upside down. The rest of the world was seeing COVID coming. But it's now 10 months since since then and we're, we're, we're still uh, still in lockdown. And among the sectors to be most impacted, obviously, are, are areas like childcare for a lot of obvious reasons from the point of view of keeping everyone safe, but also, no doubt, parents who want to work are also tearing their heads out, hair out because they're working at home and they've got kids in the house and all that kind of stuff. So into all of that, I probably want to start really by asking you uh, about you know, what, what happened after that point, you know, beginning of March 2020, uh, everything was looking rosy for you guys and you were expanding into the UK. Did anything change? Did you proceed with your UK plans? We did. Well, we'd only just opened the doors. We were open about two and a half weeks and then the news came um, that we were going to have to close. And none of the UK, I mean, the first bit of news came to us, it was, was in regard to Ireland and, and the close down. I was in the UK when we got that word and I suppose we were taking the shock of that and decision was made that I would come home. And, you know, it was funny. I was sitting in the office in London and, and this is happening back in Dublin. And my colleagues in London were saying, well, that will never happen here. You know, there's no way that they'll shut London down. And so we went back for what we thought would be a very short closure, very unprecedented. And then the next thing, obviously, London followed very shortly afterwards. Uh, and there was a close down for a very long time. So I suppose the UK were slightly different. They allowed uh, nurseries to stay open for key worker children. But because we had just opened our doors, I mean, we only had a handful of children. We had, we had a handful of staff and a handful of children. So we had staff there, obviously, for the uplift that wasn't going to take place. And we didn't have any key children. So we had to close our doors completely. And we remained closed till beginning of June in the UK and then July in Ireland. And I suppose then it slowly came up. I, I think the way that the closure happened was probably a benefit insofar as we didn't think it would be for as long as it was when we closed down and so we didn't go into panic mode we kind of went into mode of okay how are we going to reopen and how will we reopen safe to kind of three different areas of how we would get the children back safely how we protect our colleagues protect the environment to be able to come back and we kind of just we never stopped we kind of put our head into that from day one now that didn't didn't happen until a lot later than we anticipated but that's where I suppose our mindset was. We knew from day one we were always going to protect our colleagues because that is our business is built on on those people who come to mind the children every day. And we knew mm. when things did return to normal, when we got back to wanting to open again, the parents would be returning for those colleagues, not for us, for ourselves. So that was kind of our main thing. It was to support them, to look for financial support from government, to support them, to make sure that when we opened the doors, they were still there. So yeah, that's that's kind of where we where we went to. And and strategically, and from the point of view of your investors, were they understanding of this kind of situation you were in? And also, has 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 the current crisis derailed your plans, or has it? Or do you see, if anything, you know, you start like everything else, you have to kind of re, re reorientate and and go in a new direction, or or, or at least an augmented direction. Yeah, I suppose we we kind of do have invest. And they, they, I suppose, they're under their own pressures. We're not their only, the only people that they're backing. So, 
I mean, we had tough questions to answer and we were asked, you know, where is possible, how we could cost, cut costs and how we could bring things in line. And we had to make those tough decisions mm. um, at the very start, including myself, you know, taking taking pay um, pay cuts and, and I suppose pay, what would you call them? Um, or... Yeah, so uh, we made those tough decisions, but I suppose I've always been ambitious. Um, there was always a plan to grow in the UK and to continue to grow in Ireland and, I suppose the benefits of that were that really I had to key in and hone in on the one that we had in the UK. And that was no harm, really, because it, you know, it made us focus on getting that right. Um, and we focused on different things that we could focus at the time. So we focused very much on our staff training and, you know, how could we upskill and how could we, how could we really get ourselves ready for growth? So growth wasn't going to happen this year. Um, you know, it wasn't the right thing to do. Opportunities could happen this year. So there were certainly things that we could look at and we could look at pipeline. But then while we had this time that we probably would never get again, how could we perfect the business? And what could we make better? Um, and how could we make sure that we were nearly in a really ready in 2021 when things would hopefully return to normal to be able to grow so that's kind of where we put their focus. It was, it's no harm sometimes for someone to put a bit of a brick on my head and slow me down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there was benefits in that. We certainly, I mean, we have pipeline in the UK and that's still there. It's just slightly slower than what we would have anticipated. And obviously, no doubt you were aware, obviously, of Brexit coming and all that kind of stuff. I mean, back in March, the whole thing had been extended with the idea that a deal would be done by the end of, of 2020. And lo and behold, deal was done. Thank God uh, for a lot of people are delighted that it has been. But it, even up to the last minute, it didn't look possible. And then by some miracle, just around Christmas time, we got it. As, as a business now that's straddling the UK and Ireland, uh, what are your thoughts on, on, on the landscape ahead? I mean, obviously, we're still not out of the COVID thing. Yes, there are vaccines coming. But on the Brexit front, I don't personally think the real ramifications particularly for the UK economy have yet been understood or felt because you know yes I mean we might say there's in Ireland at the moment there's there's fewer things maybe on the shelves in, in certain UK multiple supermarkets but realistically I think the advantages of being a part of a, a large 27 country single market with travel rights and all those other other, other benefits um you know I, I don't know if the uk or the people in the uk have yet realized that impact on their lives yet but mainly because they can't go anywhere at the moment but in in, in time um i think a lot of the real impact will be felt and understood but from the point of view of an irish business person you know running an operation in dublin and on running an operation in london how do you see the road ahead I think for me, and probably luckily enough that we're, we're not a trade, um, it's, it's not a trade business. And I think trade businesses are the ones that are mostly affected. I have to say when I, we started talking about Brexit, jeez, uh, I think maybe nearly four years ago now, um, I was lucky enough to be quite close to Robin Barnett, our, our ambassador here. And I remember I, I actually was calling her breakfast at the time, you know, when we started talking about it. I'm glad that there's clarity. It, we haven't had clarity for so long. I think Irish people particularly are very resilient. We're resilient people and we're resilient in business and tell us what it's going to look like and then we'll work our way around it. Um, and we haven't had that clarity to quite recently. So for us as a business, there's not huge changes. The huge changes would come if the London economy was hit very badly and we saw huge job losses and so people aren't using nurseries anymore. London is lucky insofar as it is protected and being a slight economy in itself within the UK. So we have some level of protection there. And then our second real part that we're interested in is obviously, 
you know, is currency exchange and bringing that money home um, and how that looks. We're looking, we're not going to be churning profits there for a while with the two million investments in one centre. So it's not really a huge concern of ours at the moment. So, you know, I suppose we're lucky enough as it, it's not too much of a concern for ours. It's obviously something that we need to be looking at, but it's not, I suppose, much more important for us is, is the COVID issue rather than the Brexit issue. Gotcha. And another thing as well, I mean, the world as we know it has been turned upside down and inside out, the working world particularly. And a lot of people may have been pleasantly surprised that actually remote working works and home working works. And everyone's still trying to figure out what the future of work looks like after normality ensues in a world where we'll all have vaccines. vaccines. The thing is, I, 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 I and a lot of other people would be of the opinion that we don't really intend to go back to the way it was. We'd be happy enough to kind of you know, more, more, more up for more hybrid model where you can work at home, but also, you know, show up, you know, at a place of work to identify at least with your workplace and your colleagues. But really, the, the productivity benefits from working from home are, are uh, you know, let's just say I'm not losing two to three hours a day sitting in a car or on a bus or something. You know, I'm actually getting the benefit of that. But what will that mean for the overall childcare market? Uh, and one of the things, again, that became painfully on obvious to a lot of people was, especially those working from home, was uh, they couldn't get work done with kids in the house, for example. Or, you know, if anything, you thought, well, if people are working from home, how would that affect the childcare market? And I think, if anything, it probably bolsters it more because people will want either that headspace that they get from having kids at, in, in a place where they're looked after for at least a few hours whatever, during the day. I think as a whole, I think COVID has shown, I suppose, everyone how important the childcare industry is and that actually it is, you know, it's just it's strategic industry insofar as the economy. I think definitely I don't see returns to things the way that they were, where people are going to work, you know, and dropping children in from seven to seven in the evening because they have to be at work in the city centre. I certainly think there will be a flexibility needed there. I mean, we have it in our earlier centres. We haven't really seen much of a drop off when things are normal. So, you know, from September kind of up until now, figures generally remain the same. Some places a bit busier. Um, and I suppose that's to do with exactly what you talked about. If you have a young child, it's impossible to work from home with your child in the home. Um, and I think parents were, when we reopened our doors in, in June in, in the UK and July here, parents were nearly hugging us coming through the door with their children saying, oh my God, you know, you used to do such a great job. Um, I think our after schools, you were seeing some impact there because I suppose parents are, if they're at home, they now have a choice of letting their children come home after the school day and spending time at home and doing their homework. And it's not so much of a hassle, but I suppose we saw that drop off in the beginning. That's kind of slowly coming back as parents again are realising actually even an after school child, if they're at home and they're looking for the, you know, for their dinner or they're looking to be dropped somewhere, actually then the productivity goes right down. And I think you know, at the moment, employers are very flexible and they understand that parents are, you know, we even with our own colleagues and our exec team who have all worked at home since March, you know, we understand that some of those people are working at home with their children. And so we'd have to give a level of flexibility. Maybe they start early in the middle of the day, they're gone again and then they're back in the evening. However, I don't think employers will be that flexible all of the time. You know, they'll expect you to have your childcare in order. Um, and they'll expect your productivity level to be normal when we do come back to a new norm. So we're not too scared. I think it's the importance of childcare and that need for the childcare industry to be there has really been highlighted. I think the professionalism of the childcare market has really been highlighted and how we've kind of lifted that in the last few years and how we've behaved 
um, during this crisis has has really seen us, I think, come out with it with the shining light. One of the things uh, I'm I'm not a parent, but I'm sure one day I will be, and I certainly when I hear people talk about childcare, one of the things people say a lot is that it's very expensive. Now I've no doubt it's also very expensive to run these facilities, so I'm not quibbling the costs. But is there a case that if more and more people are working from home across the various ages, twenties, thirties, forties, that Childcare costs should be subsidised or in some way better, you know, made, made more affordable some way for, for people, either through tax breaks or, or some kind of way. I mean, I'm not, I, I, don't, I haven't any data in front of you of what the international norms are, but everybody keeps pointing for places like Scandinavia and, you know, other countries just seem to do it better, but they're not necessarily any cheaper either because they're, but they also pay very high taxes. So there's no one size fits all for everyone in this. And, but it, the general lament is that's quite prohibitive to, 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 to pay good child for good child care and it's up there even probably more than your mortgage so what what's what are your thoughts on that in, in terms of like um from a policy perspective what the state could be doing if you've got more people working from home and more people who will be relying on on child care just even just to get through the working day um you know how do you see you know a good intervention by the state or a fair intervention I think we have a real opportunity. I don't think we are Scandinavia. I don't think we can have those models because we don't have the taxation system. But I certainly think we can have a mo- an Irish model. That would be an international standout. I think we, you know, we're in a, a real sweet spot now to do something like that. But we've had huge support from government up until very recently. We're probably not so happy with their support <laughs> today for the three weeks of closure. But up until up until now, they've, they've played a blinder in supporting the industry and staying open. And I suppose they've given special wage supports into the industry. And so I suppose normal GDP spend um, in OECD countries sits at about 7%. At the moment, we're kind of in and around the, the 0.4%. So we're still quite a bit below. However, I suppose where the real issues are is obviously cost to the parents and also um, our colleagues pay. So at the moment, we can't grow the industry. We don't have enough colleagues. That's that's our real issue. So pay needs to be addressed and then cost needs to be addressed. So what we urge the government is when things go back to normal, that we continue to get the wage subsidy scheme in a form to be able to, I suppose, reduce our costs and pass that on to the customers. We do have, I suppose, it's the first time, and, and again, this puts us in a sweet position, we have an affordable childcare scheme. So now for the first time, and only even the last year, if you have a child in registered childcare, whether that's a registered child mind or whether that's a registered provision, you do get a subsidy towards your childcare. So if you are um, somebody in a lower socioeconomic position, you're getting a, you get near enough to your full wages paid for childcare. If you're obviously in a more affluent position, you get a very small amount of money. But what that has done is it's for the first time allowed parents to make a decision to send their child to any childcare provision so that they can actually pick quality, whether they are, you know, I suppose coming from an area of poverty or whether they're coming from an area of affluence. And what that does as well, it's best for children. It gives a real mix across the board. So childcare services then have a mix of children in them. But that's a system that's really well set up. So the minute the government injects more money into it, those bands can obviously move for quite quickly and you get, so it's really well set up for government increasing funding and parents' fees reducing. Like, as you said, the cost of childcare is the cost of childcare and the cost of good quality childcare, it it costs money. But what you want to see is government investing in that, reducing the cost of the parent while keeping the quality the same. 
And final question is, looking to the future, March 2020, you had plans. No one saw this whole year coming and we're hopefully looking at, 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 at an end in sight. What, what are your plans now if you look for the next two to five years? What would be the kind of projection you have for, for Tiger's Childcare? I mean, we have huge ambitions. So we really see ourselves, we want to become the market leader in Ireland. So we want to take on the opportunity. Obviously, we are, especially in Dublin and the surrounding regions, they're still growing. It's still um, a very young population coming up good thing about uh, lockdown is there's a lot of babies uh, being made at home uh, so lots of an increased need of childcare, and then we want to see ourselves grow in the UK market as well so we feel what we do is quite different in Tigers the type of quality the way that we treat our colleagues our whole ethos it's quite different to what is there in the multiple marketplace and so we feel we have to have more centres so people know more about us so our to take market lead in, in, in Ireland over the five years and then to have a substantial foothold into the UK. Brilliant. With that, Karen, thank you so much. That was great.